God, we admit to you together as a group that we need help, that we are helpless. So would you be our help? We admit to you, Lord, that we live often without hope. Would you be our hope? Lord, we don't know the way, so would you be our guide? And we are spiritually homeless, we confess. So would you be our eternal home? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. This past year, um, in the lectionary, we've been trekking through the Gospel of Luke on Sunday mornings, and one of Luke's main themes has resounded again and again, that the God of Christianity draws near to sinners, to broken people, to lowly people, to humble people, to people whose lives are a wreck and not, perhaps surprisingly, to the people who think they have it all together. Now, now let me be clear, it's not that God rewards sinful people. Instead, it's that God responds to people who know they need Him. That's usually what sin does to people, puts you on your knees. And it's not that God ignores the people who follow His law, it's that sometimes in doing so, those people forget their need of God in the first place. Now, in today's gospel lesson, this theme of Luke is more explicit than ever. Here's the story as I imagine it. Two people come to church. Two people come to church. The first person takes the pew near the front. That's where he always sits, by the way. You know, you know him. You like him. He does lead a good life. In fact, he works really hard at it. He's been successful at leading a good life, so much so that around our city, he's like on the board of lots of nonprofits, and he's a who's who at church. He's not obnoxious. He's not the religious, obnoxious person. He's just very conscientious. He's been faithful to his wife. His kids have found their way off to a decent college. He served on chapter multiple times. He gives lots of money. No, I, really, he's, he's actually generous. He's very generous. He's, he's also dependable. He comes to noon mass during his lunch hour. I mean, really, it would be hard not to like him. He's the kind of person who spends most of his time trying to do good. That's the first person. The second person walks into church. She She's just as successful as the first guy, but her success lies, let's say, in the business world. And if this were a business meeting, she would be sitting up front next to the boss, but because it's a church, 
She feels like a fish out of water. So she comes in late on purpose and she sits in the back on purpose. Now, if you saw her, you would envy her success. If you saw the clothes that she wears and the car that she drives in her home. But if you asked her about her success, really, and maybe she had had a couple glasses of wine, she would tell you that she's used and cheated every person she's ever worked with or for on her way to the top. She's not married anymore because um, her marriage fell apart 10 years ago when she got drunk on a business trip and hooked up with her colleague. A few weeks later, she assisted HR in letting him go. Her kids are also away at decent schools, just like the first guy, but her daughters don't speak with her anymore. She's literally alone. At this point in her life, all the external wealth that she's worked so hard for betrays the poverty of her soul. For all of these reasons and lots more, she is literally the last person you would ever expect to see in church. She was baptized as a baby, but now, this morning when she comes to church, she can't tell the difference between the hymnal and the Bible in the pew in front of her. Two people come to church. So the church service begins, right? And prayers are prayed and songs are sung and it's time for communion. This Sunday, it's the first guy, the good man, it's his turn to be a chalice bearer, it's the person that serves you the wine. So he takes his place up around the altar. He likes to serve the wine. Now, down at the communion rail, the lady, the second person, is waiting. She doesn't know whether she should kneel for communion or stand for communion. By the way, you can do either. But something happens to her when she gets down on her knees at the communion rail to wait for Jesus. There's something about that posture that's not really found in the business world when you're on your knees in front of someone. Isn't this a moment, right? Isn't this so, I don't know, stereotypical? The good person, the churchy person comes to serve Jesus to the really bad person. He gives her the cup and he wipes the chalice and he moves to the next person, very careful to not spill the blood of Christ. But as he moves to this next person, the woman, for the first time in a long time, feels tears run down her face. And with her eyes closed and the taste of wine still on her lips, she dares on her knees to lift her face at the statue of Jesus in front of her. And from her lips come these words, this beautiful prayer, God, help, help. After church on the drive home, the good man says to his wife, can you believe how long the pre-sermon was today? 
If we're going to get more butts in those pews, he's going to have to shorten those things. The woman sits in her car still in the parking lot. She's just not sure what happened to her back there. And as she pulls out of the parking lot, tears still coming down her face, she smiles and she thinks to herself, what if it's true? What if God really loves me? What if I'm really forgiven for the wreck of a life I have lived? Some of us are here today, and even though no one knows it, we are that lady. We are that lady. We are tax collectors. In every possible way one could measure such a thing, we don't belong in a church, right? In terms of good deeds, we've got nothing to show, nothing to offer God or anybody else. Listen to how St. Cyril of Jerusalem describes the tax collector in this story, writing from a long, long time ago. She feels shame for her conduct when she comes to the temple. She's afraid of her judge. She beats her breast. She confesses her offenses. She shows her illness to the doctor. And she prays that the doctor will have mercy. And what is the result, he asks. Let us hear what the judge says, says St. Cyril. This woman went back to her home justified rather than the others. If this is you, friend, if you're the tax collector, I hope with everything in me you will take God at His Word right out of the Bible this morning from Luke 18. I hope you will bear your soul before God. Ask Him for help. Tell God how badly you need Him, how much of a wreck your life is, and then listen to the promise of Jesus from this passage paraphrased it this way as you drive home, I tell you, you will go home right with God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, some of us, on the other hand, we're, uh, we're Pharisees. In fact, if we're good enough at being Pharisees, no one else knows we're Pharisees. And if we're really good at being Pharisees, we don't know we're Pharisees. That's the whole, that's the whole thing, right? Listen to how St. Augustine describes the Pharisee in this story, also writing years and years ago. It's like the Pharisee shows up at a doctor's office but instead of telling the doctor about his illness, he spends the appointment talking about the illnesses of everyone else outside in the waiting room. Augustine then concludes, it's not surprising then, is it, that it's the tax collector and not the Pharisee that goes away cured. since the tax collector had not been ashamed to show the doctor where he felt pain. If this is you, if you're the Pharisee, I hope you'll take God 
at his word. I hope you today will show the doctor where the pain is in your life. I hope you will question all your righteousness. Tim Keller likes to say it this way, I hope you will repent of your righteousness. I hope you'll ask God to open your eyes to the ways in which you need God just as much as the tax collector sitting in the pew behind you. Now, in the first part of this passage, verse 9, Luke gives us a clue, a, a primetime clue to reading the whole story. Verse 9, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. In other words, Pharisees, this is your story. This story's for you and me. You say, Josh, I think, I think I'm a Pharisee. I don't know, but I think I am. I, I, I'm not in touch. I'm not aware of my need for God. Most of my life is going pretty well. I, I do spend most of my time, you know, getting to church, uh, making sure that my marriage is okay and my kids are loved and that I'm putting in my hours at the cathedral and the local nonprofit and iDignity or Christian service center. What do I do? What do I do if I'm a Pharisee? Let me offer two suggestions in closing. Because remember, every Sunday, every Sunday the gospel is, 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 is not just judgment or condemnation or pointing out where you're wrong. The gospel means good news. So if you're a Pharisee, there is good news for you today. And here it is. First suggestion comes, um, involves our worship right now. Did you know that in this service, um, we call it Holy Eucharist, in the liturgy, the prayers come from us, by the way, from the earliest days of Christianity. And one of those prayers serves sort of like for lack of a better way to say it, it serves as a Pharisee radar. It's a Pharisee radar. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, as we get to the Pharisee radar part of the service, there's no alarm that goes off, no spotlight that comes down and zeroes in on you. Like Pharisee, 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 right? But it serves like, it's like a moment of check-in every Sunday that we get together. And it sort of asks you, do you need God? Do you need God? You, are you aware of how much you need God? Yes, you've had a great week. You feel like you've got it together. But do you know how deep your need for God goes? It's the prayer of confession. Fittingly, it starts with the mercy of God. So it's like you get a, you get a, the, God lays out the welcome mat for you right before you're going to bear your soul before him, right? Most merciful God, we're about to pray in just a few minutes in the prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. If you think you're a Pharisee this morning and you don't want to be, when we pray that prayer in a few minutes, rather than just um, saying the words on automatic pilot, which, by the way, that happens when you attend a liturgical church, 
Because we do say and pray the same very deep, meaningful, beautiful, rich prayers over and over and over for weeks and months and years. And that is as it should be. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's possible that we go into automatic pilot. So in a few minutes, when we pray the prayer of confession, let the words wash over you in a fresh way. In fact, let the low kneeling posture of your body reflect your wide open need and dependence on God. Remember, God draws near to people who know they need Him. That's first. Here's a second suggestion, not just in this worship service, but something to pray all week. All week, in the car, in the shower, during a meeting, when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're talking, when you're silent, this prayer can be going on in the back of your mind all week. It's a prayer you can memorize. It's actually a quite famous prayer. It comes from this very story in Luke and also partially from the story of Bartimaeus elsewhere in the Gospels. It's called the Jesus Prayer, the Jesus Prayer. Christians in the East have been praying this for hundreds, if not thousands of years, as a way to admit their constant need and dependence on God. The Jesus Prayer, it goes like this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Would you pray that with me? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Again, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Orthodox Christians, you'll notice, sometimes have prayer ropes. They'll have them on, around their neck or around their wrist or around their waist. They have knots on them. And as they feel the little knots and they count the prayers, they're praying this prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. They pray it all day, every day, until they literally pray without ceasing. Bishop Callistos Ware, just a quote to encourage you, one of my favorite Orthodox Christians to read, Callistos Ware um, says this about the Jesus prayer. It holds in itself the whole gospel truth. It's a summary of the gospels. In one sentence, it embodies the incarnation and the trinity, the whole gospel. It also embraces the two chief moments of the Christian life, adoration to God, reaching out to Him, as the creator of all things, and also penitence, unworthiness. I'm a sinner and I need you. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. A prayer for all of us Pharisees this week. Now, friends, regardless of whether you're a Pharisee or a tax collector today, my prayer for each of us is that we, in this service of worship, would so meet with the God of the universe that when we get in our car to go home, we might smile and think to ourselves, what if it's true? What if God really 
loves me? What if I'm really forgiven? Amen.